0: Well, um, tonight we're looking at membership again and we're going to look at the specifics. I told you yeah. last week we're going to do all the rules and regulations and then it turns out I actually did scare half the people away. Yeah, That was a mistake. <laughs> it's not really about rules and regulations of membership. Um, I should have made that clearer, never mind. <laughs> um, but we're going to look at some suggestions, really, of how membership might work. We talked last week about um, this kind of this traditional model of membership we 'd inherited, and it was for denomination and doctrine and discipline and democracy and I based, basically saying that you know it was, it was okay, but it didn 't quite do what we wanted it to do and then we looked and we looked at all those Bible verses and we looked at all the one and all fifty nine one anothers in the New Testament, and just sort of saying, what do we need in order to be able to to obey a scripture? We were saying that in the early church if you you know, found the preacher boring or you didn't get on with somebody at church, whatever, you couldn't skip across to the church across town. There were no options. And actually that being forced together was a real strength because, you know, like in a marriage, like in any kind of covenant or commitment, that, that actually gives you the freedom to really uh, explore what a loving relationship looks like. And, um, and so the basic idea behind that was that whatever membership is, it should be a covenant commitment that enables that one-anothering to happen. That was really uh, the main point of last week. And we went into a bit of detail on that. Um, so that's just a reminder. So we're going to build on what that actually looks like in, in practice this week. This is not a, I should say, this is not a final version. I haven't consulted with the elders about all the things we're discussing tonight. Um, this is a kind of sketch of the way, I think, uh, we should move forward and but I am open to suggestions and some of the things actually when it gets to the nitty-gritty we'll come to this at the end actually there are delicate things Uh, I'll come back to this you know covenant and commitment do require careful handling because actually once you say to people hey you're in and we want to make it hard to leave actually that's really open to you know mistakes and you know uh, potentially difficult situations you know that's the strength and the you know, and, and potential danger of, of covenantal commitment, isn't it? So we're going to come to that. Uh, but I'm saying that as a kind of caveat to say if something to you sounds like, oh, I don't know about that, yeah, this isn't the final version. Um, but I think, I think it's a, a good approximation for you know, where we should go. And at the very least, it will get us thinking in this, this covenantal way and give some real shape to um, uh, our membership in the meantime as we as we kind of nail all these things down. So that's a recap of last week. Uh, And then remember our previous weeks we did values the first week, word and spirit. If you really take that seriously, that leads to love for the church and the sacramental theology where we value the created order. And we looked at the vision, uh, the city of God, um, so worshipping God together in this kind of defined community, overflowing with God's grace, And calling all people to God's throne, we looked at those things as well. So that's where we've been. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of discussion work for 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, I've done a very bad picture, bad drawing of a city on the piece of paper in front of you. Can you see it? No, because it doesn't look like a city. That's just the square. (laughs) But it's just to kind of invoke this idea of the city of God. so the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is, to be, is the picture I want to give you really of what it means to be a member of Turners Hill Free Church is if you like, it's like a district within a city. So you've got the city is the church, the, the church with a capital C throughout time and space, you know, all that sort of thing. So to be a member of Turners Hill Free Church, you have to be a member of the church. That's kind of obvious, right? Okay, but what we're saying is, the analogy is like, it's like there's a special district within the city. We're not saying that all the other parts are, are wrong or any of those things. What we're saying is for us to have a meaningful community where we can have this kind of one-another relationship. We want to define who we are. And, but, so turn us all free churches if you like the, I don't know, something quarter, Sussex quarter or something like that of a city. Um, but we're going to look at that big boundary, first of all. So the obvious thing we're going to look at is um, to be a member of Ternus So you have to be a member of the church universal. And we're going to look at the... What I've suggested there is that there are, if you like, four boundaries that form... Uh, we, took, we mentioned this last week in response to Chris's question about doctrine. There is a city wall. There is a definition of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm suggesting that there are four things that kind of define what that boundary is. Um, so I've written those on the outside of the wall here. And you can pencil that in, like Sunday school, if you want to. Um, and there are four sets of references underneath. See if you can figure out what those four things might be. Is that okay? Together. Good. I you guys? So... Four walls define the boundaries. What do we reckon? Number one. <laughs> okay, repentance is in there, but not under number one. Well, kind of, kind of is, but, but yeah, so baptism. Okay, now it doesn't mean you have to, we're not saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved. In the, in the fullest sense of the word saved, I would say yes, you do. Because actually, to be saved, you have to be, you know, public Confession and all that sort of thing, but in terms of like to, you know to get into to receive eternal life to get into heaven or whatever you know baptism isn 't the thief on the cross is the exception that pro- proves the rule as it were, but baptism is membership of the universal church, so there we go okay, good that was easy. Any discussion around that one okay we 're going to get home early today. I thought that was the one I was like because <laughs> it's interesting. Because you know, some of these passages talk about being filled with the Spirit as well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you can't. The, the difficulty is making that a condition of 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 saying a person's not a Christian if they haven't had such and such an experience. That that gets kind of tricky, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Sorry,
1: you're talking about um, sacramental baptism
0: here. Yeah, talking about the actual act yeah. of, you know, water. Yeah. Which yeah. okay.
1: yeah. I suppose should represent what, what it represents, isn't it? Yeah. Is it dying to self. Recognizing that there's a change yeah. in your life and that there is you living for self, you know, you being
0: raised up. Yeah, there's, there's, there's so much in it. There's heaps. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's the wisdom that often is missed, you know, by um, churches where baptism is downplayed, which is, is often the case these days, is the wisdom in having to have a definite act. Um, you know, I was talking to someone today, we were talking about me, Andrew, about Martin Luther. We use Martin Luther as a, hey, you're right. Are you coming in? or you? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we we uh, use Martin Luther as a kind of, uh, of course, as an exemplar of um, you know Protestant faith. But if you ask him, what's the grounds of your confidence that you are actually saved? Um, a lot of Protestants would say, because I've been born again, because I've had such and such an experience, because I you know prayed the prayer or whatever. Luther was like, I can't, if you, he wouldn't have settled for any of those things. They're much too, you know, uh, fluffy. Because he'd say, one day I, I feel like I have faith, another day I don't feel at all. And he'd say, actually, my ground of confidence is in my baptism, controversially. You know, that was for Luther, because was, was, Christ had baptised him, and Christ is trustworthy, therefore, you know, it's really interesting. Anyway, I'm not saying we're Lutheran, but I'm just saying it's helpful to think that way. Okay, so that's number one. Number two. Uh, gospel, yeah, gospel, and other things, maybe
1: preaching.
0: preaching. Okay, well, well, how would that be a a sign of you know for you to be a member of a church? I say,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Because uh, yeah, resurrection, yeah. Yeah.
1: Jesus, Lord.
0: Jesus, Lord, yeah. Jesus, Lord, yeah, yeah. What did you say, Jackie? Truth, truth, yeah, yeah. Okay, so lots of things, and you know, it's the the Bible verses speak about various aspects. What I was trying to capture with those things are all the things you have mentioned. But what was essentially what we're saying is it's the Catholic, the Orthodox, the historical faith that's handed down to us, so the true gospel. So you've got in, in Corinth, you've got uh, when Paul writes to Corinth, this is the thing I deliver to you. These things of first importance. That Jesus Christ, etc., etc. For interestingly, for John, and maybe I'll preach on this one time, or maybe we'll do a talk about this on it John's verse is really really interesting because what he says basically is that Jesus Christ is the son of God and is man and actually from that truth from that truth the incarnation and the, uh, the trinity actually all other essential doctrines flow so actually John's verse is the key verse because from there you can work backwards and say everything else that Christians believe dogmatically that is you know, something that you cannot fundamentally deny, and it distinguishes us from all, say, sub-Christian sects and all that sort of thing, it, are those two things, the Trinity and the, in, the Incarnation of God that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. So that's that's the the core of our faith and from that all our other dogmatic assertions uh, flow. And so what we're saying is is that Orthodox faith, now obviously we're not defining that in detail tonight, but that's just to give you the the, the, the shape of it. So uh, you could call it orthodox faith or Catholic confession or the faith of the universal church or whatever you want to call that. Okay. Does that make sense why that should be one of the boundaries? Yeah. Good. We <laughs> don't have to go into that. Okay, number three then. Sin is, Sin is condemned. Condemned, yeah, okay. Anyone else want to put it? Repentance, obedience, holiness All kind of mixed in together, right? Right.
1: Recognition, rejection, repentance
0: Yep, yep Recognition Accountability Yep, yep And Alison, you said morality Mm. So I think all of these Sanctification Yeah, thanks (laughs) Alice So I think all of those things mixed in together It's really Mm. unpopular but morality is one of the boundaries of the city of God. Now, we have to define that very carefully because does it mean in light of our, that we are saved by, by uh, grace through faith, does that mean that when I sin, I'm no longer a Christian? No. If I sin in a, and I put um, in a fundamental way um, that rejects God's lordship and I refuse to <laughs> repent even after the people I'm accountable to come to me and plead with me to change you know whatever whatever at that point then I'm outside of the city of God well as far as human we can tell mm-hmm. so what Paul was talking about in that very difficult um, verse in Corinthians expel the immoral brother it says in the NIV hand him over to Satan, why? that actually he his soul might be saved his spirit might be saved so even there he's opening a door for hope but he's saying actually you can't treat that person as a as a christian if they refuse to uh to repent so again some subtlety there we're not going to go into tonight unless you guys want to ask me some questions you know there are there are basic elements of morality whereby if someone refuses to repent of those things you would say you're not living as a christian actually i think those things are made very clear in the new testament paul has a nice and neat list there in 1 Corinthians of, of things and they're, um, you know, added to. But to give you an idea, if you, if you can remember or you want to go back and have a look, if you look at the preaching series I did on the Ten Commandments, the, where we talked about the fencing, remember, like the minimum standard? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So if someone worships another god, <laughs> that's, you know, one of the big moral problems. <laughs> <laughs> If someone refuses, you know, if someone blasphemes, if someone, uh, you know, lies, if someone commits adultery, you know, these are the kind of the, the, the big things. Um, and if you want a bit more detail on that, you can either read the notes from those or have a listen. Okay, so that's the third boundary, and the fourth one, which we don't talk about very often, is forgiveness, isn't it? It's really interesting, I think, that actually the law. <laughs> The Lord, He so rarely spoke harshly, but He doesn't mince His words, does He? In Matthew six, if you don't forgive, neither will My Father in heaven forgive you. You've got that parable in Luke of the two debtors, you know, one with a huge debt and one with a small debt, and it finishes with, I tell you, you, you He'll be thrown into prison until he's paid back the last penny. You know, it's really the Lord doesn't speak harshly about many things but a refusal to forgive. So those are our boundaries. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, good. So what does that mean in practice? Well, uh, a church member must in the first instance be a Christian. There we go. (laughs) Having been baptized, repented and repenting of sin, forgiving others and holding to the historic faith. uh, in unity with the whole church that's it that's the kind of first prerequisite does that make sense Mm -hmm. okay so just to unpack that a little bit in detail if if you're a member of this church what I'm suggesting really is first of all that's the kind of qualifier to become a member one of the qualifiers and then by entering into membership you're essentially inviting the people around you to support you in that faith holding um, basically hold each other accountable especially with regard to sin that's, uh, that's it. Um, if someone denies or denounces their faith, or if they persistently promote or confess a false or novel doctrine, if they wantonly break God's moral law and fail to repent, or if they refuse to forgive others, as a last resort, they would be removed from membership as a severe warning that they may have actually rejected God's grace in Christ Jesus. That's, sorry, it's a bit heavy to start with, isn't it? But <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, what does it mean to remove someone from membership in the, that's excommunication we're talking about there it means denying them the privileges of membership which we'll talk about another time perhaps um, but supremely it means denying them access to the communion table that's, that's the ultimate saying it doesn't mean you can't come to church anymore because that would be silly like where else are they going to you know, the gospel where else are they going to get repentance where else are they going to see people who are going to say to them come on come back you know it's not denying people fellowship um, Jesus says treat them like a tax collector well, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? He hung out with them. So, you know, there's, <laughs> he, was, he was holy in that he was separate from them, but he, he associated with them in order to win them. So, um, so supremely, that, act of, um, that demonstration is saying that you can't take communion because your not, life is not consistent with your confession. Um, so, on a, on a side note, I would say about that, um, this is because we just won't get a chance to talk about this in any, any other context um, communion what we do on Sundays the bread and the wine is a covenant renewal for members of the universal church so that's why we say if you normally take communion in your own church feel free to join in with us we're not going to pry into everyone's situation if someone comes to communion they present themselves as a Christian that's between them and the Lord we'll do our best to you know, hold people to account but um, So it's for the universal church. However, that does mean it shouldn't be given to someone who doesn't meet up to these four things. Well, whose job is that, to police that?
1: <laughs>
0: First really hard question on the mic. The
1: <laughs>
0: Primarily, it's yeah. the person themselves. So in the church, if you're living in such a way as... You know, it's probably not going to be that you're denying your faith or you've renounced your faith, is it? I shouldn't think you'd want to take communion if that was the situation. Um, but if, there's, if you're refusing to forgive somebody or you're breaking one of those profound moral laws in some, you know, habitually and you're not repenting of it or you're in some situation that makes it inevitable that you're going to break that, uh, those commands, then you shouldn't be taking communion. Okay, that's, so primarily it's their job. Secondarily...
1: Yeah. And that's a very, like, everyone can clearly see that. Yeah. And I think that has
0: to be enforced. So, whose job is that? The
1: community, primarily the elders.
0: Yeah. So, that would be the elders, primarily, yeah. Primarily on behalf of the community, really. So,
1: the community might identify people. Yeah, right. So, they would have the responsibility to report to
0: the elders. Yeah. So, that's, and then so, thirdly, then it's the community as a whole. So, what I would say is, for example, I mean, that's to the extreme. If you know there's some public scandalous sin going on, then, yeah, actually, if it, what I would say is appropriate to the relationship. We were talking about this a minute ago. Actually, for the pastor or an elder, I have a kind of unspoken um, responsibility as do all the other elders. If something's going on in someone's life, it doesn't matter how deep that relationship is. If they're a member of the church, I actually have a duty to go and talk to that person. For everyone else, actually, it's more about depth of relationship. If you know that person well enough to bring gentle correction or whatever then by all means as a friend as a brother or sister in christ you can go to that person and say you know i'm really not sure you should be taking communion (laughs) or or whatever but you have to judge that and you have to act it out graciously Mm. you know we're talking about the ugly end this is hopefully not going to be happening but you know Mm. we have to talk about it somewhere right these are about shared expectations and that sort of thing so where
1: it comes on a personal level yeah we used to verbalize that much more the opportunity to examine yourself before you come to the communion table
0: because that's a very realistic place to be. Yeah, it is. It is. That's a really good point, Jackie. It's a really good point. I'm a little bit torn. So what you're talking about is, let's say, for example, in the Anglican Church, there is a corporate confession. So every time you take communion, there is a, you know, we sinned against you and against our fellow man, the thought and word and deed. The things we've done and things we've left undone. I can't remember the rest. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there's a
0: real powerful confession. Now, um, in other churches, the expectation is that that's understood. The, The thing is about saying that every time is it casts a certain tone to the communion celebration On a very personal note, I don't mind sharing it with you guys. I I find the Church of England one a little bit on the... It's it's an important thing to have, the warning and the opportunity to confess sin. But I find the public compulsory confession of sin casts a certain negative tone on the communion table, table makes it all about forgiveness and not enough about new life. And that's why, so far, we've chosen not to do corporate confession sin um, especially because we, we've and that may be temporary because we've come out of I think in the past communion took on a, a very sort of it's just about forgiveness and we're going to remember the cross which of course is we should be doing but that's not all that the, the Eucharist is about so that's that's the reasoning behind why we haven't done that you know if you've got any thoughts on that feel free to you know input to me and to other elders and so on if you think it would be good to have it, but, but part of it is like if we have this opportunity to do teaching um, and we can say actually or you know we've got a members thing and everyone understands actually this is what's going on at communion you know we, we, can, we can have a little reminder without going through the whole thing and then leave it up to people individually you know as long as people understand what a serious situation it is um, hopefully we can achieve the same result but the intention is, is there really that people come in that attitude so
1: no explanation or other Bible reading is done at our communion now. It's just really words on the table and take the bread and wine. Very simplistic in that way. Yeah, so, I think... By I mean,
0: design? Or? Uh, to some extent, in that we want the core aspect of communion to be unchanging. So we want it to be predictable and repetitive on purpose, because there are some things where you, 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 I don't want me or anybody else improvising at that moment, if that makes sense, because it's it's so special. And actually, we have an aversion in our culture to repetition and ritual and so on, because we think that spontaneity is what makes things, you know, that's a cultural, you know, and we don't actually think that, but it's something we, t- we tell each other, that spontaneity is what makes something valid. But actually, if you apply that to a relationship, you know, an awful lot of what happens in a, in a, in a close relationship is habitual and full of meaning and um, so the core of it yes, as in we want there to be a prayer of uh, epiclesis as they used to call it which we're asking the Holy Spirit to bless the gifts and then we want the, the words of institution to be set um, we want those things however I do think there's space maybe for more either side of that yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this balance, isn't there? It is in one sense is is the most privileged moment of our week of our you know lives mm-hmm. to come and meet with Jesus in that special way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's solemn, but you don't solemnity and morbidity are often confused, mm-hmm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. So we you know we want to capture that. Um, as best we can. For some people, that that constant focus
1: on their sin can become quite a burden, Mm. like the guilt can become Mm. an overwhelming burden. Mm. Some people don't need that constant re-examination. It can bring out the anxiety and things like that. So, I mean, it's not necessarily...
0: Yeah I think that's right and, well, so, and you point out the complexity so what I would say is part of our, our third value is love for the church so what I would do when we come to a complex issue where there are pros and cons and all that sort of thing what we do is look at what churches have done throughout history and say actually is there a best way to do this maybe, maybe we can look at that and say you know, is there a pattern that merges again and again and again we don't want to repeat the mistakes you know, by, by trying to rewrite everything so there's that instinct for that universality so that's, that's our way through it, and that's, kind of, that's my instinct. That's the way I would uh, try and guide it. So um, we talked about so morality, but also, let's say, if you're in the congregation as there's a visitor, they haven't got a clue what they're doing, they look a bit lost, they don't join in with the words or the prayers or anything like that. They're sitting next to you, it's time for communion. They, they're looking at you like, what do I do? <laughs> what do you say to them? Repent. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Repent and be baptized. <laughs> Forgive everyone who's ever sinned against you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you.
0: You'd say basically what what we're doing each week right now, which is if if you've never taken communion before, you know, you know, want to have a chat to Jeff or one of the elders, or I'd love to have a chat to you, or um, you know, have you, have you been to church for? Have you been baptized? You know, it's okay. That's okay. It's not presumptuous to do that if they really look lost.
1: Right,
0: they don't yeah, they don't have to. Well, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To
1: do,
0: yeah. Right. What, what I would say is, you know, we're, we're saying this is solemn and important and there's a unique encounter with Christ in the, in the communion. Um, what I would say is God's grace is so big that our instinct will be if someone presents themselves for communion, we will take them at face value. Mm. You know, it, And if there's someone who doesn't understand, the Lord knows. If there's someone who's there because they've literally just yeah. been taken along, or whatever, the Lord knows. And, yeah. you know, because of the embarrassment humiliation of saying, oh, no. Unless it's scandalous, like there's someone who's in a really bad situation, then we wouldn't refuse people at, at that point.
1: Yeah, I think the implication which applies to the new person, yeah. as well as to us, yeah. is that uh, we have a good biblical understanding. Right. Yeah,
0: um, because all of, all of this is a, it's a, it's a
1: sacrament, it's a, it's a symbol of, of
0: all these kind of other great truths, isn't
1: it? Yeah, you're not to be able to do a teaching
0: on every time, no, you know, there or, or
1: communion up there. All you can do is have a community to be teaching all the, the principles and that sort of thing. That's right, so and, and that we're all on the same
0: page. Yeah, so, with us, you know, like, so, why. Nights like tonight are important. And and then we can always add a guided word. If it's likely that there are gonna be a lot of people there who don't understand, then by all means throw an extra, you know, little public whatever in. Yeah. So um so that's a that's that's a kind of side note about communion, but you know, communion acts as that kind of sy- symbol of that boundary wall really, because it's a baptism is the covenant entry and communion is the covenant renewal. So this is what we do to renew that. Um, renew that membership of of the whole church um, also i 'd say on this note, to do with our relationship to other churches, so we want to be very generous in the way we engage with other churches, but there are limits to that engagement, so we would struggle to so we wouldn 't have any problems with a church that has this <laughs> historical confession. Orthodox Catholic faith as us upholds traditional Christian morality um, those, those are the big ones really but where there are denominations which is actually quite rare but let's just say where there are denominations where they've actually um, let's say gone against the historical confession of the church or the historical morality of the church then we're not going to write them off and say but we're not going to be doing stuff with them basically and where there's opportunity for relationship, we would obviously try and enter into winning, winsome, evangelistic, you know, unifying relationships with those people, but we probably wouldn't be evangelising alongside them or doing a service with them. Um, but where historic confessions and historic morality are upheld, those are really the big ones, which gives us some unusual allies, I think, in that you'll have noticed that I'm happy to encourage you guys to go to Worth for the ecumenical service, and some unusual... People that we may not associate with, which historically we may have, because of an individual church's stance on issues. Uh, uh, um, yeah, uh, Jackie's mouthing a particular denomination to me. I won't say which one, but uh, specific churches where that that individual church has publicly rejected historical morality. You know, we're not we're not going to be standing outside them with placards or whatever. We're trying to be winsome but we're not going to be working alongside them. So just to give you those... You know, the, We talked a bit about boundaries last week. This is where the rubber hits the road. hope that makes sense. Okay. Time for a bit more chat, I think. Right, so this is a bit more of uh, a discussion. I'm not looking for definite answers, but just some ideas. I've got a few written down. Um, so... That's the, the city. You have to be in the city. What does it mean to be in the district of Turner's <laughs> Hill? So what, this is what we're talking about, covenant membership now. So covenant membership is not about whether or not you're a Christian. That's just the outer limits. To so being covenant membership, which is what we're talking about, is about whether or not you commit to that kind of one-another fellowship with a specific group of people. We need that definition in order to love one another as the New Testament commands us. So... Um, It's a solemn but not permanent public promise. So it's a bit like marriage, but it's not for life. Till death do us part, God forbid, um, that any church should have that hold over anyone. Um, But it does mean having shared commitments, duties, rights, expectations. What kind of things might those be? What makes up the district of the city of God that is Turner's Hill? What kind of commitments, expectations, duties, rights? What kind of things does it involve to be in covenant membership? Does the question make sense? Okay, I'll give you some bio references to give you some inspiration. Yes, already in those four walls. They're assumed. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Hans. Okay, don't worry if you haven't quite got to the end. Um, so, what do we reckon then? i'm not looking for definite answers i've got a list of things which kind of sum up but you might spot things that i don't and like i say this isn't the final thing so you know feel free just to shout out some things what does it mean what kind of things would we include in sort of the covenant commitment so just to recap what we're saying is when you if to be a member of the church here here what we want is for you to be a christian in the way we first defined but then also we're sort of saying but we're like a community within the community of the church and we, we're kind of signing up to a common life that enables us to love one another like the Bible commands. So what, what kind of things should we sign up for to be members, other than be a Christian? <laughs> Come on, anyone? Knowing one another. Knowing each other, yeah, yeah definitely. Meeting together regularly. Meeting together regularly, Yep. Yeah. Encouraging each other, sharing. Prayer, Prayer together, yep. Yeah. Supporting leadership. Supporting leadership, yep. Yeah. Well, Hospitality, communion, good doing good, yeah, giving, giving yep, yeah. submitting good. to the leaders, yet yeah. all the good leadership ones, yeah. paying. <laughs> paying, paying the leaders. Double. <laughs> <laughs> D- double what is the question? Yeah. Double. <laughs> double what a part-time yeah. worker earns at McDonald's, or Fine. double what a lawyer earns? That's the question.
1: <laughs> um,
0: yeah. humility. humility towards each other, yeah, yeah. Yeah, restoration, yeah. Dealing with sin, well. Yeah. And knowing that we're not afraid to confront someone when we desperately need a little bit of help. Yeah, so, yeah this is, that's a really good one, Rita. Actually, one thing I've often found, often in older people is who are a little bit isolated from churches, I'll say to them, if, there's any, if you ever need any help, and they'll say something like, well, I don't want to be a bother." And actually, it's not just a phrase. They really, really don't want to be a bother. They feel like they're being a burden to people. And I was, I'd say to that person, I was, usually, when you ask for help, it draws love out of other people. It's a way of binding us together in fellowship. So when you express your need, that's actually part of what it means to be a church. So don't be ashamed or afraid to do that. People do find that very hard, though. Yes. Can I say, this is what I have found in this church. Oh, that's lovely.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. So we could say some vulnerability is important, isn't it? There's an openness of life. I think someone's already said openness, or knowing each other, Andy said. There's a vulnerability and a, a, a graciousness that enables that love to happen. Yeah. Promoting one another. Promoting each other, honouring one another above yeah. yourselves. Playing the preacher, thanks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> 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 accepting each other, yeah. yeah. Uh, accepting each other, I think, is one of the biggest ones, yeah. the hardest to sort of nail down. But <laughs> it is uh, the way that Christ accepts us is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, that's a, you know, I keep coming back to that. If I, I'm not sure I can even accept myself that way, let alone other people. <laughs> You know, like the way that Christ accepts me, and it's not an acceptance that leaves me where I am. You know, that's you know that's the confusion, isn't it? Like, it's not just that we tolerate each other, but it's that because tolerance isn't love, but acceptance is the is the prerequisite for for a loving relationship to grow. And that, you know, it's just it's what does acceptance look like? It look like it means not judging on first appearances, persevering in difficult relationships, assuming the best about people. You know, getting over all those. Bumps in the road, those hurdles that are down to our insecurity usually or our you know, lack of experience of building a relationship or and also
1: not judging on
0: prescriptions
1: and not judging on the yeah. ju- judging
0: on appearances before I get anywhere near what the person's <laughs> actually like. Yeah, and it's not and you know
1: you know, not expecting them to change because you want them to change or yeah. whatever, but it always
0: yeah well that's that's another one isn't it like you know not being coercive in our relationship so like you know I it's it's very easy to love someone like you can sort of love someone temporarily because eventually I'll get them to be just like me (laughs) but actually accepting someone in the sense of like actually one day when they're fully like fully Christ like they'll still be completely nothing like me I still might find some of the things they say puzzling or why they did something confusing or whatever it still might be a mystery to me, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I think also like that persevering in relationship, like I think hope has such a, like we talked about marriage last week as an analogy for membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing about marriage, of course, is not just that it's unbreakable, but also that the Lord is in it. Mm-hmm. So God joins two people together. It is impossible otherwise, mm-hmm. as the evidence suggests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, but what that gives you is hope that actually, what seems insurmountable—some personality clash, some historic feud, or whatever—humanly may be impossible. But because, because Christ is in the church and the Holy Spirit is at work, it's never impossible. We can never give up on one another. And you know, I've had to say that to people. who said, "You know, oh, I'm happy to go to church with such and such, but don't expect me to be their friend." But, well, that's—you know—I know why you feel like that. I felt like that. But that's, that's, not, that's not what church is. Church is a command to love one another, to overcome those obstacles. So we need something that gives us that strength, don't we? Anything else in the verses? Sure, Ange. And like are
1: talking about relationship. Yeah. And although I think Yeah, th- yeah, I agree with I an you.
0: Understanding of what covenant means. Yeah, so yeah, so I guess what I'm pushing towards is that actually I want us to get to a situation where, as a church, when we come into membership, we actually make some sort of covenant promise.
1: Mm.
0: And we're not claiming it's like a biblical requirement because we're not saying if you don't do this, you're not a Christian because you can be a Christian, <laughs> you can come to church and. and join in with everything without making but it's it's, I guess the closest analogy is something like a rule of faith like you get like the Augustinian monks make a promise when they enter into a community they sign up to like this optional subset of things it's not compulsory it doesn't mean you're a Christian or not a Christian but it's it's a way of actually the reason they do that is exactly the same as I'm talking about here it enables them to genuinely love one another and so they have submission to the abbot and they have a certain way of doing things and so on and they all follow that together in order to, to enable that love. And you know, I'm not saying we need exactly the same thing because that would mean you all had to sell everything and give it to the church. I'm not talking about that, but some kind of covenant promise where these things are are explicit. And also, this is the difficult bit: some way of making it a thing when somebody leaves. The difficulty is not, you know, if you want, if you're a monk and you want to leave the monastery. Actually, in the end, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, they don't they can't lock you in your cell. They can't, you know, shoot you as you jump over the fence. They, they, would let, they would let a monk go if he insisted. But they want to make it a kind of... Actually, this is a really big deal somehow. And I, I haven't quite figured out what that might be for us as membership. But we do want to make it... We don't want people to drift away or, you know, just to sort of say nothing when somebody doesn't come for a while or whatever. We, we want to... We we'll talk about that in a, in a sec. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I'm suggesting some kind of actual covenant thing. Covenant yeah, basically, a recognition of you're entering into a relationship explicitly, publicly, in a committed way. So um, here's, here's the things that I, you know I've, I've suggested that touch on some of the stuff you said, and I think are helpful for us to express. So a covenant member should commit to weekly public worship with the church at Turner's Hill, <laughs> with obvious exceptions, you know, like holidays and sickness and all that sort of thing. But actually, you know, it's, it's not like one week off, one week on. It's not church hopping and that sort of thing, so that's kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Co- <laughs> a commitment to fellowship, um, prayer, communion, and teaching. A commitment to the communal life of the church outside public worship. So, what? what it, so, like, for example, if you do a Tuesday teaching evening, and the, you know, the elders say we really want everyone to come to this. Like, if you can come on a Tuesday, we'd expect you to come, unless you know there's some. Likely Sunday, some obvious reason why you can't. You work on a Tuesday, whatever, whatever. But you know, we'd expect that kind of commitment to things. And likewise, like church meetings, voting for things, all that sort of stuff. It's a commitment to say, "I will, I will come to that." You know, that's it's kind of obvious, but actually, my experience says these things actually do need saying because um, otherwise, people do treat them as optional. Um, commitment to common discipline so what i mean is there may be a way of us worshiping together it's not like you have to do this because you're a christian but let's do this because we're a community like um let's have a fast we're going to fast you know uh, in this way for a week in january let's say and if you're able to do that you would join in because we're together in this you know (laughs) know, nobody's going to like be checking up on you but it's, it's that kind of relational commitment uh we're going to call a special prayer meeting because someone's sick. You know, it's that commitment to join in with that. Um, So common disciplines, that is, I mean that in the loose sense of discipline. Um, Submit to the pastoral authority of the elders with humility. I mean, that's a a sensitive one, but it's, you know, it's it's there, isn't it? So pastoral authority means lots of different things. But um, essentially you're, you're sort of acknowledging the fact that actually by joining a church, you are inviting a certain group of people to pass to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Most of the time, that will involve them saying "lovely, encouraging, gracious, gentle, mm-hmm. edifying things to you. Sometimes it may mean them saying, "Stop it." <laughs> mm-hmm. Or if you don't stop it, you know bad things might happen in your life or, you know, or teaching you stuff that you didn't know, you know And it's just that, that recognition that you're entering into that relationship is really helpful. You know, I've had, to, I've had not many, one or two, really awkward situations where actually some really big thing is happening in someone's life. The last thing they expected was for the pastor to come along and say, I really don't think you should do that. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you know, it's just not received well. It's just not even on their mind that somebody might have an interest in this. <laughs> you know, so just having that is, is, is important. So pastoral authority is one thing. Submission to the leadership of the church, I mean this in a slightly different sense. The leadership means, like, we're an organisation, so we have to make decisions about how we run and that sort of thing. And just the unity, like not grumbling, you know, being behind your leaders. Leading is difficult because sometimes you've got to make judgment calls. Sometimes you're 51% certain this is the right way to go. And that means you choose it and 49 out of 100 people disagree with you. But somebody's got to make a choice. And so when, by entering into membership, we're saying, do you know what? When the leaders say, we're going to do this, if it's not immoral, if it's not unbiblical, <laughs> you know, if it's a matter of, Conscience, you know, uh, it's a judgment call. Then I'll support them in that because that's a hard job to do. Um, submitting to the will of the congregation. So there are certain things that we will vote about. Again, not we're not really voting on doctrine or things like that. But you know, maybe sometimes the elders will come to church and say, "We're not sure what to do about this. We'd like you to vote, or we want to appoint someone. We'd like you to vote." When you enter into membership, you're saying. I submit to the congregation in these matters. So if the vote goes against something you would like, you don't get to walk away easily from that. Or you've decided in advance not to walk away. Whether you do or not is up to you, of course. But, you know, that's, that's kind of making that explicit, I think, is really important. Uh, commit to the financial support of the church. So not not just paying the pastor. Thank you. I very much appreciate my salary and my house. And, and I really love my job as well, so that's really nice. <laughs> Um, but actually, actually, we have a moral duty. I would say aside, this isn't just about this little. This is the bottom moral commands. We do have a moral duty to, to support the uh, the mission of the church. So we do have to to, to support public worship in Turner's Hill, to enable evangelism in Turner's Hill, to enable the good works of the community of Christ that overflow into the world in, you know in all the communities that we touch. We have a financial responsibility to enable those things. So that's actually a one of the outer wall things but, um, but also we have this kind of district thing, we want to you know, honour this church and you know, support it financially So, um, do you all know where the financial support of the com- church, who pays for the stuff at the church, what are our funding sources does anyone, everyone know the congregation, the congregation and HMRC. and no one else HMRC who gives us gift age yeah <laughs> So that actually, and we will make, because actually there's some people who don't know, but you know we, we are entirely supported by you and the other members of the congregation. We don't have any outside support. So, um, which is really cool, really remarkable that we don't just run the church, we do all the other mission stuff that we do. Um, again, thank you. But it's good to, we do need to make that explicit. Um, a commitment to unity of doctrinal expression. You'll love this one. <laughs> So what I'm saying is we're committed to the, the Catholic small c, Orthodox small o, historical faith, universal faith of the church. However, we do need to express that faith in concrete terms. So that doesn't just mean like, I'm not going to sit down and go, oh, you guys all know what we mean. It's what Christians have always believed. I will express that faith in specific terms. And um, usually that will be building on the reformed tradition. So we'll talk about, for example, the nature of our salvation in terms of Adoption, justification, sanctification. Now, without getting too technical, some of those things will be modified by the fact that we are also charismatic and also loving the church and also sacramental. But that's our our basis. So what I'm asking of you is basically to say, you know, if you're from a different tradition, bear with the language and don't fall out over it. Oh, and also, we're we're also going to take certain lines on things. I will never preach pre millennial uh, doctrine from my pulpit i 'm not completely convinced that it 's wrong i 'm ninety nine percent convinced that it 's wrong and so pre millennium is is the idea that Jesus will come back and reign for a thousand literal years before the end of the last judgment you know I believe in that the millennium mentioned in revelation is symbolic and represents the time from christ 's ascension to his return so that 's called a millennial position so we would express our faith, we would express those things in a certain way. We're not going to fall out about those things, but I'd ask you not to go around telling people that what's preached in the pulpit over these disputable things is, is incorrect or evangelising you know, about your sort of certain specific position on the millennium or baptism or you know, any of these things that historically have been disputed. Um, we will try not to take a specific line on things where it doesn't matter. You know, Paul Paul specifically warns Timothy, for example, we just don't get bogged down in pointless controversy. You know, the goal of this command is love. Um, So unity of doctrinal expression. And the last one for me was commitment to resolving issues without division and without just jumping ship. You know, if you get upset, you know, it's so sad, and it's happened a few times. People have just, they've got upset about something and they've left. They've never said anything to anybody. Uh, and, you know, when pe- people skip church for a few weeks, you know, prior to what I've just said now, you know, we don't have a common expectation. So you kind of leave it a while and then, you know, you, you don't want to intrude. So how long do you leave it? And then you ring them up, you know, whatever. And you, you kind of wait for people to come back. And you, it's often all sorts of things going on in people's minds. Sometimes even people, I've even said this, you know, people are sort of playing a game where it's like, I wanted to see how long it would be before you ran. Mm. <laughs>
1: you
0: know, yeah. um, you, well, you feel like an idiot for not ringing earlier, but, you know, also. Um, anyway. So it's a commitment to not just disappear, you know, and, and to resolve conflict in a, in a healthy way. So, you know, we'll make some of these things more definite. Okay, we're going to finish. It's getting late. Let me finish with these things. So what, are, what reasons might we have for leaving membership? One excommunication (laughs) hopefully that will never happen but you know we already discussed it okay that's the that's if we think someone is you know not a christian basically or not walking as a christian and we've tried really really hard to, to bring them back and they just won't yes we would remove someone from membership okay second one which is much much less which is basically saying look we've got this common standard we all agreed to and you can't or you just won't kind of buy into it you know you only come to church once a month or you never you know you're uh, literally never get involved in anything or um, like you're constantly grumbling about the leadership decisions you know and you really can't reconcile yourself to it i just think it's better if you're not a member we would probably ask someone to be removed if someone just disappears we would remove them from membership if we can't contact them or they don't want to be brought back in that sort of thing so that's we're not saying they're not christian we're not saying anything about their faith as such but we're just saying actually for us to work as a loving community we do need to have a certain, certain boundaries. Okay, soft Brexit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> so soft Brexit is people leaving with an agreement, which is basically saying, you know, there are legitimate reasons to move church, aren't there? Yeah, yeah like you move somewhere else. Something you might have a special call to, to minister somewhere or to be part of a different community. All I would say is you discern that call, you know, in relationship with the people around you. You know, um, but you know that's that's you know, in that relationship, you just talk about it, you pray about it, you say. And what we would love to do is, if someone moves, we would just love to send, you know, send you on your way. We did that for Tina, although she came back. But, you know, you know it was, she wanted to go to church right around the corner from where she lived. She felt, she prayed about it, made sense to me. We prayed for her. We sent her off. She came back two months later. We we're all really happy. <laughs> but, you know, that was, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Hard Brexit is like... Um, oh, and actually, do you know what? The other one I would say is conscience. Do you know what? If there's something in... The Bible's quite clear about this. If there's something in the way we do things that you just really can't reconcile yourself to on a personal level, you're not saying about it for anyone else, you just can't do it. Then, you know, if there's a real conscience issue, then it's understandable. You know, we're not going to hold it over you. Hard Brexit is basically where there's a disagreement about these things, but, you know, where there's a breaking of the covenant and it just can't be resolved. So it's like someone just skips church for six months. You find out what's going on. We didn't like this decision. Okay, is there anything we can do about it? No. Okay, well. Never mind. Yeah, that's a hard Brexit. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, sorry it's been a bit more technical tonight. I hope it's been helpful. Any other comments or questions or anything before we wrap up? Cool. Well, feel free to grab me if you want to talk about anything personally. I really thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for getting involved. I hope it's been a benefit. And it's been really helpful for me too. Oh, so, um, just a question for you guys. One of the things that I've really struggled with and I've been talking to the other elders about is uh, not about membership, but just in general. Um, we just, we, we need some space in the church, some forum where we do teaching. So I'm trying to do less, whether you realise it or not, I'm trying to do less teaching on a Sunday morning and do more preaching, if you like, um, and maybe you've noticed the difference maybe you haven't and I think but generally I think preaching is one thing and teaching is you know oft, there is teaching and preaching but you know if it's too much it's just like you know it's not what you're there for however that does mean things like like this Can you imagine this as a sermon you'd be like wow that was an interesting Sunday morning uh, but we do have to talk about them right Um, So there's that stuff. There's also knowledge of the Bible, like the big picture or detailed knowledge of books in the Bible. There's doctrinal stuff like, you know, what do we believe and why and just all that stuff. Where do we do that? So one of the things I'm thinking about, and I'd just love you to think and pray about, you don't need to discuss right now or anything like that, is whether we change the way we do home groups. So that home groups are are perhaps less frequent. um, And we do teaching evenings series maybe you know over a period of time or you know maybe we break up that rhythm or something like that so you know one thing we could do is let's say for argument's sake you meet together as a home group once a month have a big meal make it more of a celebration more of a an event because you can because you're doing once a month and then the other three or four weeks the whole church comes together and does something like this or maybe you just do that for a few months you know while we teach on the basics of christian belief or prayer or Membership or whatever, and then you go back to that other routine or something like that. We're just thinking through some of those ideas. So I appreciate, you know, if you want to in your home groups next week, maybe have a chat about that, and um, you know, see what people think. And uh, I'd be really interested to get your feedback on that, your personal thoughts and group thoughts.
1: Sorry to, to sure.
0: Sorry. Um, is home group, What's kind of like the format? Is it? Um, not getting together in prayer or a reading or so. So far. Home groups have been that we, the a Bible. In most of the home groups, we prepare a Bible study that's based on the, whatever's preached on the previous Sunday. Okay. Um, technically, we do. Each home group can do whatever they, whatever they want. It's just the, the burden of preparing something means that it's easier to do that. <laughs> um, uh, so that's what we do at the moment. But there's questions about whether that's the right way to continue or not. So, yeah. I'm going to pray and then you guys can go.